our scripture for today from Genesis 2, uh, verse 5 to 8, and verse 15. I'll read from English Standard Version. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going out from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of the Eden to work it and keep it. That's the word of God. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> uh, I do want to just add on to one of those announcements about the membership. Um, you know, even if you are really new to our community, um, you know, I think when you go to a place, you get, kind of get a sense. And uh, when we do membership, uh, we're really, we believe that it's just one, uh, one way of really hmm, uh, solidifying in each of us our commitment to our local body, to our body of believers, the place that we worship. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe that this is, this is something that we are, in fact, called to. Um, I think people have different ideas of what membership is, um, even what it should be. Uh, but I want to tell you this. Uh, we, we have this in our... Um, I'm going to take this off. We have this in our uh, training videos. Uh, but one of the things is when we do, when you do membership, uh, the question of, okay, so well, what, do I, what do I get out of it uh, is actually the wrong question. I mean... Probably many of us are thinking that, but really when you join, when you become a member, what you're doing is you are committing to serve more, uh, and, and I believe that's what God has called us to. Uh, so please, um, all of us, you are invited to, at the very minimum, to um, take part in the training, and then you'll be able to decide, is this really a body that I want to commit to and invest into and grow, uh, to grow with? Cool. Uh, so please uh, prayerfully consider that. Uh, the signups are closing, I think, uh, in just a couple days. So today's the sixth. So you have today, tomorrow, and Tuesday. Okay. Um, yeah. I also want to thank worship team for leading us in worship, and just uh, you know, there's something about. Um, being a part of and, and being in the presence and, and worshiping together and declaring truth, you know? And sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't, but still the declaration of truth, and, and I know like it, it moves our hearts and God is moving in this place. So I just appreciate uh, the worship team uh, for preparing and for leading us uh, in worship. Uh, and also, Mike, thank you for those announcements, man, <laughs> and for reading scripture. Um, let me read just again that, that final verse from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God, he took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. You guys like work? <laughs> I 
Is anyone here a workaholic? I don't know if that's like a, yeah? I don't know if that's like a proud thing that you would raise your hand for. It's like, ah. Um, love your job? Hate your job? Something in between? Some of us maybe are trying to get a new job, or maybe a lot of us are wishing that the Solal holiday could just kind of extend indefinitely. Um, but regardless of how you feel about your work and about work in general, um, we have to recognize today that work is a part of God's original design. I got one amen. It's a part of God's original design for you and for me. See, God created man. He formed him from the dust. Now that gives us like humility. You know what I mean? Like dust. He formed us from dust. Man, that's, that's a humble beginning, right? But at the same time, God himself breathed life into us. Now that is the source of our unparalleled dignity and worth. Amen? God himself breathes life into us. And pretty much the first thing that we see in scripture, God created man and then put him in the Garden of Eden to work. <laughs> work was a part of God's original design. So today we're going to be looking at work. Uh, and I don't know if I'm going to do so much like, exp like explaining this and that or telling you how you should work per se, but causing us to think, uh, to ask ourselves to ask ourselves questions about our relationship with work. And you know, as we've been going through this series of awe, you know, it says, awe, awe of God, live, stand, breathe, and even work. So if, if anything, I want us to, to question and, and, and to examine our lives of work. So let me give you a roadmap. I've heard that it's very helpful, especially in the way that sometimes that I put these things together. <laughs> But a roadmap, okay, so we're going to first go through Genesis chapter 2. We're going to kind of look in a little bit more detail what, uh, what that means uh, for God's design, what it means for us. Uh, we will go into uh, looking at work as we recognize this idea of awelessness or our awe brokenness. And a lot of the time, like as we've been going through this series, that's a lot of what we've been looking at, right? Recognizing the awelessness or the, the, our, our tendency to, to, to pursue and to take awe in things other than God. Uh, and at the same time, we want to seek to restore our awe of God. And uh, we want to see what the awe of God teaches us about work, okay? So those are the kind of main ideas. So the first thing, Genesis chapter 2. But before we get to Genesis chapter 2, you've got to look at Genesis chapter 1. Now if you, I think most of us, hopefully all of us are familiar with the story, Genesis chapter 1. This is the story of creation, right? Six days of creation, God uh, formed out of the nothingness. He formed out of the chaos. He, he formed and then he filled. And in Genesis chapter 1, what we get in the creation account is a macro, like a wide-angle view. God speaks and it comes... Uh, it, God speaks and then it is, 
uh, it is so, right? Uh, it's a very wide angle view of creation. And then what we see in Genesis chapter 1 is not, a, it's not another, like God did a, another thing, but it's actually a, like now it's a zoomed in view, an intimate view from the garden where God, the same God who is over the cosmos, the same God who created the planets and the stars and the skies and the expanse of everything, that same God is the God of intimate details. So Genesis 1 shows us God's power over the cosmos, and Genesis 2 shows us his care in intimacy. And so in Genesis chapter 2, as we see this creation account of Adam, of man, this being that is formed in God's own image, Genesis chapter 2 gives us, uh, gives us an idea of man's nature, his position, and his responsibility. Man's nature, position, and responsibility. First thing, nature. Again, from the dirt. I think this is an interesting wordplay in Hebrew. Hebrew has all kinds of... I mean, Hebrew is like... Uh, Okay, I'll be honest with you. When I studied in seminary, I really, really, really did not like it. I had to repent all the time, like repent of my hatred for this language. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like it, it, it holds so much, uh, so much poetry, so much nuance and meaning. But one thing, uh, Adam, Adam is his name, also means man, Adam. And he is created from the dirt. Guess what dirt is in Hebrew? It is Adama. Isn't that crazy? So, so Adam, human, is created from Adama, from the dirt. Uh, yet created in God's image. And we see that God breathed life into Adam. And you can almost imagine, if you will with me, that God kisses life into humanity. This is the intimate love and care that God has over his people. This is man's nature. Now position. Man is created and placed in Eden. The garden of Eden. This is paradise. I'm going to quote, uh, this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is, this is the way that he puts it. Naked Adam lacked Nothing. He was made in the image of God. God had kissed life into him. He was perfect. He was the human sovereign of creation. He had the blessings of God and the unparalleled presence of God. Adam speaks and walks with God as if they belong to one another. This is man's position at creation. He is in the garden, in paradise, lacking in nothing. And again, we see in creation God's original design for us in paradise is to work. Now, the Thursday night community group, they're going through this book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. And they're, they're, they're digging into this book and exploring what 
work, uh, what work means. Like how, like, I don't know if it's like how to work, but really like digging in. Um, and Jeannie gave me just a couple of wonderful snippets from that book and from their conversation. Um, probably her own observations as well. I actually don't know the separation between Keller and Jeannie. She's that good. But um, let, me, let me share some of these, these snippets. Again, Genesis, what we see, that work is a part of paradise. Is work a part of your paradise? But we see in Genesis, work was a part of paradise. Now that's a startling idea because we so often think that work is just like a necessary evil or even a punishment, right? I think at times like, it feels like that, doesn't it? Yet, we don't see work being brought into, uh, into the story after the fall. It doesn't come after the fall. It comes as the original part of design. It's not a result of brokenness. It's not a curse. It is part of the blessedness of the garden of God. Work is as much a human, a basic human need as food, as beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. That's crazy, right? It is not simply medicine for the... It is not simply medicine, but it is food for the soul. Are you convinced of this yet? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Now, the contrast of this is, is, really, is really important because every other worldview, you know, last week, uh, Pastor Sangmin, he took us through worldview, right? Every other religion, culture, worldview, uh, is, the contrast could not be more different because work as we see in the Bible, it did not come after this golden age of leisure. It didn't come as a result of, again, of brokenness and sin or a, as a punishment. It was a part of God's perfect design for human life. Because we were made in God's image, and God himself, he works, right? He works. God is a gardener, he's a creator, he's a, he's a builder, he's an architect, he's an artist, he's all of these things. God is constantly working, and we are made in his image. And part of his glory and happiness is that he works. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 5.8, it says, uh, this is what I have... This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life, excuse me, let me read that again, uh, to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Like, this is a good thing. We're supposed to eat and drink and find satisfaction in our labor. This is part of God's design. So again, so we've, we've covered, we've just kind of, we're, we're, we're looking through, kind of going through very quickly, nature, the nature of man, the position where God has placed us, and now responsibility. We see in Genesis chapter two, responsibility of man. Now God called humankind to take charge of creation. 
to subdue it. That sounds like a very oppressive word, but it means to care for it, to steward it, to work it. Now, God's commandment, it comes with like this two-part. It comes with a permissiveness. God says, from every tree in the garden, you may take and eat. You know, sub- t- like subdue the earth. Multiply, increase, you know, be fruitful. Like the, the, the permissiveness, like it's, it's like, this, like this limitless expanse, like everything. Everything is for us, except for one pro- prohibition. Is that the right way to use that word? Except for one <laughs> pro- prohibition. Now there were two trees in the center of the garden. You guys remember? What are the two trees? You have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there are these two trees that are in the center of the garden. Do you know, even the tree of life was, like, was permissive. Adam and Eve could have had fruit from any of the trees, including the tree of life. But God said, just one. He said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it came with it. Like a, like a promise, like if you do, you will surely die. And then, that's Genesis chapter 2, and then we know in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they were tempted. And they, along with all of creation, fell. You know, they were not tempted to eat of the tree of life. They already had life. But they were tempted through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were tempted to seek wisdom apart from God. They were tempted to seek life apart from God. And this is, this is tragic. This is tragic, guys, because we've seen already that they were made in the image of God. Do you guys get this? Humans were already like God, and they were tempted to be like God but on their own terms. In fact, they were tempted to become their own gods. It's it's a tragedy. This temptation to become God without God. You know, and as we are going through this series, and we've been looking at this word awe. What is awe? To, to have awe in something. This temptation is to be in awe of ourselves rather than the only one who really deserves our awe. This was the temptation that Adam and Eve faced. It's the same temptation that each of us face every day. And so, Genesis chapter 3, the fall, the brokenness of the world, and so, work, right, whatever it was supposed to look like, whatever it was supposed to feel like, it changed forever. Genesis chapter 3, it reflects what God said uh, as, as one of the many results of sin, but uh, in Genesis chapter 3, God says, Cursed is the ground 
because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Right, so whatever work was supposed to be like, whatever it was supposed to feel like, like we don't know anymore because it, everything changed after the fall. Right? They went from tending the garden of God in perfect fellowship with God, in perfect fullness, in his presence, with abundance and life. They went from this to separation in pursuit of their own glory, in pursuit of their own, like, defining what is good for themselves, and it resulted in this separation. It resulted in thorns and thistles and alienation, distrust and selfishness, jealousy and corruption, manipulation, exploitation. Like, we see all of these things are a result of the fall, and we see these things in, right, in in, in work, right? And so you and I, we continue to live in that world of brokenness, don't we? You know, I, I, I always want to point to this, and, and last time I preached the same, but, you know, we, yes, Jesus has come, and yes, Jesus has ushered in his kingdom. Again, this idea, this already but not yet. Jesus has come, he has come, his kingdom is here already, but not yet. There is still brokenness. We're still living in the brokenness in the world and in our own hearts, right? There's still this brokenness and already, but not yet. You know, Romans chapter 8, it, it, it expresses how the whole creation is longing, is groaning in the pains of childbirth. If you know that pain, right? Eagerly waiting for this hope to come to fulfillment. All of creation is waiting and my brothers and sisters, Jesus is surely coming. He is surely coming. And in our waiting, we endure the brokenness. In this waiting between the already and the not yet, I want to reiterate again what I shared last time. God, his zeal, his heart, his love, his power for you and for me is in changing and growing us. That he's begun a good work in us and he is going to bring it to completion, to perfection. That is what we're doing in the already and the not yet. So if you're not sure what are we supposed to do as we're waiting, it is spiritual growth. It is life in fellowship with God. It is the, uh, the, the, the $10 word in you know, the Christianity, is, is it's, it's sanctification. And so as we look at our world of work and this idea like sanctification, we need, to, we need to look at work. What is your world of work to you? Again, we've been in this series of awe of God since the beginning of the year. Um, and we have been using Paul Tripp's book, Awe, as a guide. You know, last week, again, Pastor Sangmi, he shared about this important perspective, like worldview and, and, and the ability, like the, the, the commitment to see our world, to see our lives in the way that God sees, right? Impossible, but at the same time, 
Yes, we can. Because God gives us his Holy Spirit, right? Now, interestingly, uh, Paul Tripp, the author of the book, interestingly, he ends the book with a chapter on work. That's the last chapter uh, before this short epilogue. There's 13 chapters, and he ends his book on the chapter on work. I'm like thinking, like, of all the things that he could have, like, arranged it, organized the book, because he talks about a lot of different things, like, why did he, why did he talk about work? How did, how is, it's, is, is work, like, the culmination of all of these things, you know? And so initially, uh, for the first several days after, like, looking at the book and reading the book, I was, I was, I was confused. I thought it was strange, but, you know, thinking about it, like, it starts to make sense. Now, throughout the entire book, Paul Tripp, he makes the argument that you and I are living with awe amnesia. That we are captivated by created things. That we are pursuing life and identity in created things and other things in ourselves. But we were created, right, to have awe in the only one who deserves awe, the living God. And this all amnesia. So why does he end the book with this work chapter? And I think it is because work is so primary for so many of us. Right? Like it's where we live such a large portion of our lives. I was doing the math, okay? So every week you have 168 hours. Is this right? I used the calculator. It should be right. You have 168 hours in a week. Uh, If you sleep a full eight hours, does anybody do that? Eight-hour sleepers? Oh, my goodness. Okay, awesome. If you sleep eight hours, good for you, but that's already uh, 56 hours. Now, if you do the math, you subtract that, that leaves 112 hours of wakefulness, of awake time. I don't know how to speak English, man. 112 hours left. Now, if you work full-time, 40 to 50 hours, like that's 40% of your waking life. It's huge. And for how many years, right? It is a huge part of our lives. And not just the time that we devote to it. Like work, re- work relates so much to our identities. It is kind of the link to materialism, right? to status, to security. And so in a lot of ways, in the way that we're living our lives, work is really where the rubber meets the road as we're living our lives. And not even like when you're working, but if you think about it, even when you're a kid. Education. I know education's kind of changed a little bit, but, but really, in a lot of ways, education is all about... Uh, preparing the child, right, to maximize their potential to enter some kind of workforce, right? And then you ask a kid, like, like one of the, a very popular question that you might ask a kid is, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, the answer that you're expecting to hear, right, is not, I want to be happy when I grow up. I want to be, even in church here, you're not really expecting a kid to say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be secure in God's love. Like, you're not expecting that. You're like, no, man, I'm just asking you, what do you want to 
Where do you want to work when you grow up, right? Like, that's such a, it's, it's, it's profound, right? We, we draw so much of our identity in our work. Okay, so before we move on, I got to just review some basic uh, four, four points from the book of awe, okay? Again, we are hardwired for awe, all of us, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter like, what culture you're from, like, all of us are hardwired for awe. We pursue awe. We desire to be captivated, and we're always captivated by something. We're hardwired. We live in an awesome world, right? There's like amazing, amazing, amazing things to see, to observe, to participate in. God has created an amazing world. And we have an incredible capacity for awe. Our, our ability to appreciate beauty and to, and to be captivated, like it's, it's incredible. I don't think any, there's, there's no other creature that, you know, that, that is, has that capacity to, that capacity for awe. And the last point, where we look for awe will shape the direction of our lives. And so today, with the remaining time that we have, we're looking at how work shapes the direction of our lives. And where are we placing? Are we placing awe? Are we expecting, are we asking of work uh, what we really should be getting from God? Okay? Now, if you think about work, I asked the question earlier at the beginning, who is a workaholic? If you identify yourself as a workaholic or not. Um, and a lot of times people ask, like, they, they think that a person who's a workaholic is, it's, it's an issue of priorities. Right? If you've heard that, it's an issue of priorities. Um, and if, if, if you've ever done this exercise, has anyone ever done the exercise where you list your priorities, like from like most important to kind of least important, but they're, they're things that are important in your life, things that you need to do. If you list those things out, like it's, it, is, it, is, it does provide some insight. It does help you to look, to look and examine your life, but it really doesn't help you find a solution if you feel like your life is out of balance. Because none of us live Listologically, like none of, we don't wake up in the morning and do the most important thing first. Like it's just that's not the way it works, right? Like everything that you have to do, it's like it's important. Uh, and just because something is, some, just because you know something is important or supposed to be important, doesn't necessarily mean that that's where you're putting your life and your time into, right? So it doesn't really help. You know, like, nobody would say uh, work is more important than my family, and so I'm going to put family lower on the list. Like, no, I don't, most people wouldn't say that, right? But the demands of work might take up more and more and more of your time, and all of us are limited on time, so what happens? Even though family might be, you know, a, a priority, a high priority, but actually in your life, Work takes up more and more of your time, which leaves less and less time for your family, right? And so we got to recognize that rather than priorities, we have to recognize that there's actually there's three basic domains that all of us are called to. All of us are called to three basic domains. One is uh, relationships. 
Two is work. And the third one is to God. We are called to social domains, to labor, and also to spiritual. Now, we're not, I'm not saying that we are able, that we should be separating spiritual things from other, and that's, that's actually, that's not true, but just kind of, you know, if, if you're just to be able to um, categorize a little bit in the way that we're spending our time, okay? So there's social, labor, and spiritual. And God calls us to all of these things, and they're all important. And we're all limited on time. And but we have to, we devote our time, right? Okay, so there's, that's a recognition. And so for, for each of us to kind of consider, and as, we're, as we're thinking through this, as you're thinking about your life, as you're thinking about your week, uh, in, these, in these three domains, that God is calling you, recognize God is calling you into these three domains. And the thing that is so, uh, the thing about work that is so tempting, because we put so much of our time, because it is the place where we draw, you know, our, our resources, and so many of us, our, our, our identity, our sense of accomplishment and worth, it's so easy to start to place our identity in work. We might place our identity in achievement or success, whether you have achieved those things, whether you feel like you've achieved those things or you are still pursuing them, that's one area that we are tempted to find our identity is in achievement and success. We're tempted to find our identity in power and control. Right, and especially in this world where like like so few things are like in our control, like things are just out of control, and so it's such a tempting thing uh, to try to gain control and to and to practice control. It is a tempting and it is a seductive thing. So achievement and success, power and control, affluence and possession. Right, you work hard to get the things that you want in life. It's tempting to put our identities in the beautiful things that we're able to attain for ourselves, right? We're material, like we're material things living in a material world, right? And so it's so tempting to draw and to take and to find our identity in the things that we're able to collect and possess. And then there's the negative, there's the negative print in all of these things. It might be a sense of lack of achievement, a lack of, you know, like, like uh, of, of failure. It might be identity in powerlessness. It might be identity in poverty. Like, these are kind of the negative print, and I don't want to be insensitive as I, as I talk about this because I know, like, it is, it is, it's a painful thing if that is your reality. But at the same time, when we hold on to those kinds of things tighter than the grace that we have in Christ, it's, it's still pride. It's still pride of self. It's, it's still a hunger to gain identity in these other things, okay? And so 
These are kind of the, the temptations to, that we find our identity in these other things. It's things that, that work uh, tells us that we can have if we just work hard. But see, the awe of God, it teaches us, it teaches us something different about work. Let me quickly go through these. If you can, if you can hold on to any of these things, it will help us to just like, man, okay, okay, hold on. Let me, let me put this stuff in, into perspective. Number one, the gifts that you use, that you employ in your work, where'd you get, where'd you get them from? Where'd you get the gifts? They come from God. Your gifts belong to God. So as you're applying your gifts and you're doing this thing, trying to build your own kingdom, hold on, hold on. These gifts that I'm using, they come from God. They belong to God. The time that you invest in work belongs to God. And just like we saw last week, in worldview and, and, you know, looking at the world as God sees, you and I were called to something bigger than ourselves. I remember this. We're called to eternity. We're called to take part in the building of a kingdom, not your own kingdom, but the kingdom of the king of kings. You and I are called to something bigger than ourselves. And the last one. God is too wise, God is too loving ever to call you to one area of responsibility that would necessitate you in being responsible in another. I'm going to read that again. God is too wise, he is too loving to ever call you to one area of responsibility. Remember, we had those two, those three areas, the domains, the of relationships of labor and uh, of spiritual things, right? God will never call you to one area of responsibility that would necessitate you being irresponsible in any of the others. Now, I read this in the first several days after reading this. I was like, I fought, I fought this statement. I was like, man, this is too simplistic. Like, what about, what about this? What about that? Like, I think a lot of us probably are working for bosses and cultures and work that are just like, they don't care, <laughs> They don't care about Genesis chapter 2, right? So what about, the, what about the bosses and the cultures that are demanding overtime from you day in and day out? What about those, like, the fields where just, it's just, that's just the reality? Like, you just got to put in, you just got to put in the time. But at the same time, like, you got to ask yourself, like, Why? Why, why am I doing that? Like, if that's you, if that's your life, why, why am I doing that? Why am I, why am I putting myself into this? Why am I sacrificing so much? Why am I slaving away? Like, why do you, why do you need to work there? I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just like, it's a question. Why? And you got to ask, like, did God place you there? Does God desire you to be there? Or is it, or is it your, is it your, uh, I don't speak good Korean, but I, the only word I can think of is yokshim. What is yokshim? Greed, right? Like, desire to succeed, desire to whatever that is. Is it, is it God that has called you there? Or is it, 
just yourself. We need to ask ourselves. And one more from, that I got from, from Jeannie, from Tim Keller. I don't know whose who's brilliant mind it is. When we work, when we work as unto the Lord, we neither work lazily nor work as slaves. That's, man, that's a beautiful thing. We, we neither work lazily nor as slaves. He gives us the example of the, of the disciples. They were fishermen, right? And they were both, they, 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 were, they were fishermen who left the biggest catch of their lives. When they met Jesus and Jesus, like he said, hey, throw your net over here. They threw the net and they, like a haul of fish that, like, that, they couldn't, that they couldn't bring up into their boat. The biggest catch of their lives, they bring it to the shore and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And they left the biggest catch of their lives to follow Jesus. But at the same time, they were still fishermen. Because of, because of grace, because of the gospel, because of Jesus, like we're able to work hard, but also to rest. We're able to work hard and also to live in obedience to God. And we can rest in the knowledge that we find everything we need in him. Because when we understand the gospel, we are free to work hard, and to rest well. Because work is no longer a curse, and work is no longer our source of identity and provision. When we understand the gospel, we're free to work hard and to rest well because work is no longer our curse or our source of identity and provision. So what is the gospel? If we understand the gospel, we can live in this way. We can work in this way. What is the gospel? See, Jesus, in contrast to Adam, Jesus did not seek wisdom apart from God. Jesus, he did not claw for autonomy and independence from God, but rather Jesus lived by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus lived in radical dependence and obedience to God. And so the night before Jesus, no, the night that Jesus was betrayed, knowing that he's gonna be crucified and, and experience this eternal agony, knowing that Jesus was able to pray honestly, not my will, but thy will be done. The gospel is that Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live. He was the better Adam. He lived in perfect obedience, in perfect Dependence on the living God, the source of every good thing. And Jesus died the death that we deserved. Right? When Adam and Eve, when they when they took, when they when they were disobedient to God, God said, Hey, if you do that, surely you will die. And brokenness and sin has entered our world and into our own, into each of our hearts. And all of us deserve this punishment. Jesus died the death that you and I deserve so that we could have life. This is the gospel. And so we don't have to look anywhere else. We don't have to look, for, we don't have to look anywhere else for the resources that we 
need to live. We don't have to go hunting for meaning and purpose anywhere else. You don't have to go anywhere else to to define who you are. You don't have to go somewhere else to, to seek your full potential or to find inner peace or well-being because you and I have everything we need in Christ. See, awe of God, it gives your heart and my heart rest so that we can be defined as his child. Awe of God liberates you and I from the life-distorting bondage to awe of anything else. And I want to say one more thing because when I, when I read that statement, like something kind of clicked for me. It pin, like there was something pinpointed that seemed to me to be a trivial, a trivial detail. Um, but really makes kind of all the difference. Now, most of these statements, like the awe of God liberates us, that statement could be true just by saying God. Like, God, like, like uh, uh, what did I just say? Uh, uh, awe of, uh, excuse me, rewind. God liberates you and I from a life-distorting bondage to awe of anything else, right? Like we can, you can, you can just use the word God and it would still be true. But this statement, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't define uh, for you and I, it doesn't define our relationship or our posture or our response to God. It's just, it's like a vague statement. God gives you identity. God frees you, you know? And it's true, but, but you pinpoint, like, when you, when, you, when you say the awe of God, the awe of God frees us. The awe of God liberates us from living our lives, pursuing these other things, because now it puts into perspective our relationship with God, our posture before God, our response to God. Does that make sense? It is awe. Our relationship, this dynamic, it's awe. My posture, your posture before God, it has to be in awe. Our response to God has to be in awe. We are created. He is creator. We are small and finite. He is infinite. I really went over like crazy, like crazy. Man, I, don't, I was looking at the time. I was like, no, I got more time. I went over on time like crazy, guys. Um, but I do, so I'm going to invite the, the worship team up. And as they're coming up, what I would like for us to do is just, can we, can we consider, can we think through, and, and just, like, if you can examine your life of work, are you hunting for meaning and purpose in your work? Or are you letting the gospel of Jesus to define who you are.
Can we ask the Holy Spirit areas of blindness when it comes to work? Has your quest for identity in your work, has it expanded to the point where you're just like family and pursuit of God, like there's no space for it? God, whether we are bosses or, you know, if we just feel like we're pawns in this machine, in whatever field that we're in, if we're working in the home, working in education, working in government, in media, in business, wherever we are, God, may we cease pursuing meaning and purpose in our work. May we rest in who you are. May we rest in what you have done for us, Jesus. May you restore in us, God, and remove from us that sense of, 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 of work as a curse, work as a punishment, and restore it to the joy that you have created us for. I pray that you would do this miracle in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.